I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding and applying the wisdom of the Bible in your own context. In this season, The Problem of Good and Evil, we're digging into the topic of good and evil, finding new and maybe unexpected ways to think about it and respond to it. Let's get started. In the episodes of season two, The Problem of Good and Evil, we discuss some heavy topics and instances of evil that can be disturbing, especially for those who've experienced related trauma. We advise caution among listeners. If you find that you need help or support as a result of listening to this podcast, please consult the resources listed in the show notes. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Thank you for tracking with us. I hope that you've enjoyed the first three episodes so far. We're really getting into the meat of, uh, of what we're talking about with evil and good and how that all plays out in our world and then what it means for us as Christians. What do we do with it? How do we respond to it? So today we're going to be talking about does evil have a mind of its own? Um, what is evil personified? Is evil personified? This is a big topic. Demons. Demons. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. So let me start by asking you a question. Um, and that is, what do you think? And we've talked about this. Uh, I've, we've alluded to it. But what do you think people mean when they say Hitler was evil mm. or Pol Pot was evil or who do people know these days? Um, yeah. I mean, I th- that definitely, I think Hitler, whenever people think of evil personified, I think Hitler is definitely at the top of that list. Um, I think for me personally, um, and also on behalf of others, but we'll stick with me personally. I'll, I'll, uh, you don't have to speak for all humanity. Yeah. That's a a good thing. I I shouldn't do that. Um, (laughs) Uh, so I think what comes to mind for me is someone who made such like such, for lack of a better term, evil choices had such a, such a warped sense of right and wrong, and the choices made were so damaging to humanity that it seems obviously irredeemable. Like, how can you, like, like Hitler as a person, you know, like you want nothing to do with him. Like he is like completely crossed over to this whole different, like kind of kind of human that is like less than human. I think that's what would come to mind. I mean, and again, like, there's a lot to unpack within that, but like on the surface, I think thinking of Hitler as evil, I, that's the that's the train of thinking. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're if you're Adolf Hitler, at some point you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, "What have I done that makes even Dietrich Bonhoeffer want to kill me?" Right? Like, as soon as Bonhoeffer is is plotting to kill you, you know you've done something uh, horribly wrong. Yeah, I, I think that. You, you said choice and irredeemable, like that's the issue. Um, like, do people have a choice in the evils they participate in? Or are there certain people? So you, you might say like, okay, well, Hitler himself wasn't an evil substance or something like that. He was an evil goo uh, in the human sh- form or shape. But um, maybe it was just that all his choices were locked in this one direction. And that was just the way it's going to be. Um, I think a lot of people would say, well, yeah, isn't that what happened to Pharaoh in Exodus is it seems like all these choices were locked in this one direction. Uh, and again, not the band. I know that it's really distracting for you. <laughs> um, but the 
going back to to Hitler, I do think, you know, again, this isn't a Bible topic. I mean, this is kind of a topic about everything. In the 90s, there was a book put out by uh, evolutionary biologists called The History of Rape, in which the authors suggested it's debated what was going on there. But they said, look, what they call forced copulation in, in evolutionary psych- uh, psychology terms or biology terms is what we would call rape or sexual assault today. Um, and they just say, like, look, as far as we can tell, most of evolution happened by forced copulation, uh, which means that the ability and, – and humans, unlike most creatures, the male is bigger than the female. Like, we're just stronger and bigger than the females on the whole. Um, most animals, it's not true. The females are bigger or they're equal size. So humans are especially susceptible to uh, sexually assaulting males, sexually assaulting females. And so they asked this question um, in a more popular format, like, so men are kind of genetically hard-coded to do this. Is it really fair to, like, throw them in jail if they sexually assault somebody? Uh, and I think they asked it more of a thought experiment. They weren't actually asking that question ethically. So um, – and, but what they're actually asking is, do they have a choice in, the, in these evils they're participating in? And if not, then how should we treat them as a society? So it's not like this is some ethereal World War II uh, historical question we're dealing with or some you know, Pharaoh of Exodus uh, issue where we just theologically look back and go, yeah, what happened there? Um, but kind of how do we treat the people in our own houses, in our own communities, in our own families, whether they had a choice to do it or not? Um, I will point out one thing about Pharaoh that I think is widely misunderstood, um, and that is that God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart every time. Um, so, and I, I should have looked it up before we went on this broad, but it's something like three out of the four, or th- sorry, three or four times out of the ten, God causes uh, Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. Um, the other times, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And so I, I think if you put it in the, the spectrum of what's going on in the Torah, it seems to fit most clearly for me along with what we, what we call God testing people. Uh, so, yes, God causes heart to be hardened. Uh, but then those other times where he had the choice, he hardens his own heart. Um, and in other words, it seems to leave room that he could have chosen another way. And, and he does, as I said in an earlier episode, he does change his mind three or four times in that 10-plague cycle where he says, okay, okay, fine, go. But bless me, he even says, I was wrong, Yahweh's right at one point. But then he changes his mind and goes back after, even the last time after the plague of uh, the death of the firstborn, he says, okay, go. And then he changes his mind and goes after them again with murderous intent. So even in that, which that would be the most extreme version of this discussion in scripture. And even there, it's still displaying somebody who is kind of willfully taking part in atrocities. Mm. Hmm. So... Thinking about evil personified, um, obviously there's, as you discussed just now, there's a, you know, the question of how much autonomy does someone have over their own choice to do evil? How locked is their decision making in the path of evil? And obviously there's gray area there. When it comes to, we mentioned this before, demons and like supernatural evil entities that we think of as being fully and completely on the side of evil. Um, is there redemption for, for demons? Is there gray area there? Should we start a demon evangel- evangelization program as a <laughs> tracks for demons? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've heard kids say, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for the devil. You know, like kids right. will sounds say, noble. yeah, yeah. It yeah. sounds, <laughs> sounds yeah. great in theory, but yeah. like, 
I yeah. mean, maybe we should. Uh, but so I, I would like to take, we could say demon, but um, the the scriptures, New Testament especially, uh, but the Hebrew Bible as well, they don't use this term demon as much as we think. Um, they often use unclean spirit, is, uh, which Matthew Thiessen has recently argued. Unclean spirit. The main problem with the unclean spirits is they're unclean. Jesus is a Jew. He's coming to the Jewish people. It's their it's their uncleanliness that is actually the part of the problem. And he he explores some reasons why that might be the case in the thinking of the Gospels. Um, but yeah, one term is uh, demon. Demon though is a is a Greek term that do, isn't necessarily a negative thing. Demons can be good, as I said before. They can be good. They can be bad. Uh, they can be harmful. They can be helpful. Um, but in the New Testament, demons are unclean spirits. They seem to be equated with those two things. Um, the Satan, uh, the adversary that shows up in the book of Job, the serpent in the garden, um, the Satan that shows up with Jesus and tempts him in the wilderness. Um, I think when you look across the Bible and say, okay, what are all these all these characters? Like just treat it as a, a piece of literature. What do all these characters have to do with one another? The first thing that is striking is they're all flat characters. Um, so none of them are developed. So, and what do I mean by developed? I mean, uh, you know, a developed character, a round character, as we would call them, uh, usually forces you to ask the question like, oh, what are they going to do next? You know, so Jesus, I think we talked about this in episode or season one, Jesus is the roundest character of all the characters in scripture. Like you can never guess what that dude's going to do or say or how he's going to respond to somebody. Um, so he's a very fleshed out round character, uh, demons, unclean spirits, uh, evil spirits that God sends on King Saul. Um, you know, uh, the, or the spirit of Yahweh, the Ruach, uh, Yahweh that uh, gets sent on David and Saul as well. Um, so there you can see like a, a helpful spirit of Yahweh that falls upon somebody or one that basically pesters and torments them as well. In the Hebrew Bible, that's coming from Yahweh itself. In the New Testament, it's unclear where they're coming from. Uh, it's unclear what they want. It's unclear what their goals are, except for they seem to be adversarial to the plan of God. They just seem to be these flat, uh, like, questionable people who were just like, why are they doing what they're doing? We don't know. Pharaoh, you could say, look, these people are going to destroy Egypt. He says, the first Pharaoh says out loud, they will join with other nations. They will destroy us from the inside. So it's a very visceral fear. Um, demons were just like, what do you want? Like, can I pay you like to leave? You know, they, they want to wreak havoc. They're adversarial to the blessing that is supposed to go to all the families of the earth. That's the best we got, I think. So in other words... It's unclear. <laughs> yes, but for me, and I would like to push on you, okay. uh, if the biblical, the, it's not like the biblical authors couldn't be clear. It's not like they didn't have language or concepts to talk about all of this. They just, they're not interested in it, right? So it's, it's almost like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just as in the human world, just as you have physical human Judases, um, and you have Peter, who you're like, are you on board or not? Like, where are you going, Peter? Right? Are you a Satan or are you a disciple? Um, just as you have human versions of that and empire versions of that in the Roman Empire, um, in the heavenly beings and creatures and spirits, uh, you have the same thing, right? You have people who are, yeah, obviously there's going to be people who are adversarial and, and have mixed motivations and you're not quite sure why. Um, so it's almost this lack of shock and just brute fact that, yeah, these creatures exist. They're just something we have to deal with. 
the question is like, well, what do we do? And in the last episode, we're going to talk about how do we confront uh, demons, the idea of unclean spirits, uh, even today. How do we how do we think about them? So maybe the the lack of emphasis on that tells us that if like maybe we emphasize it too much, like maybe we're focusing on the wrong things. I mean, some people could be accused of that. Uh, <laughs> and I, look, I've taught quite a bit in East Africa. Um, and I think, I mean, it's like the number one concern I have with uh, when I teach pastors there, maybe not number one, but it always comes up. Hey, what do I do about the witch doctor in my village? Uh, his curses seem to work. And so in, in that case, they're not worried about demon possession. It's the witch doctor who can do these curses and they seem to have effect, right? They seem to be tapped into some power beyond the normal powers. Um, and the first time somebody asked me that, I was like, uh, <laughs> my, my PhD did not prepare me to answer this question. So, um, that, but I think I did the like, well, tell me what you guys usually do. How do you think about this? You know? Um, so yeah, I think we have to think very carefully about why, uh, demons, unclean spirits, Satan's of good and bad kinds are why they're described the way they are and why we don't get much character development and you know does it matter and i i think there actually is a drumbeat of anti-satanic if i can put it that way activity in scripture um which we'll look at closer in a later episode we're pu pushing everything off to later episodes <laughs> um that will will kind of show you like yeah it's kind of like if the shorter the tldr uh is yeah jesus is in charge of everything so mm -hmm we don't have much to worry about here. So, hmm, Okay. So last, last question about the, you know, demonic, supernatural, full-on evil world. What is the story about Lucifer? What do we make oh, of that? Yeah, character development. We're mm -hmm. like, hey, but didn't. Okay, so what, can I ask you? So we didn't, we didn't oh, okay. think about this. <laughs> um, what have you heard about Lucifer because I've heard that he was an he was one of God's angels, but have you heard a story like a narrative of what happened to this dude? No, no. There's oh. a there's like bits and pieces. Um, like, are you saying like growing up in church? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever hear a story yeah. about Satan or Lucifer? Well, there's the, the Latin version. There's yeah. There's some interesting like conclusions that are made from different pieces of information. And sometimes I think there's a narrative kind of put together from those pieces. I never really, growing up, I never really heard a narrative like that. I think I just, yeah. I think it was assumed that, okay, Lucifer equals Satan. But again, Satan was more of a personified character rather right. than the Satan. Um, so yeah, it was Lucifer equals Satan. Lucifer was, and maybe, okay, maybe this actually counts as a narrative. He was at one point an angel that went bad, mm -hmm. like one of the top, angels in heaven that went bad and at least fell from five. heaven. <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. Out there with Gabriel, you know. Yeah. Um, he fell from heaven, became fully evil, took a third of the angels with him, and the yeah. and the third of the angels then became demons. Yeah. So I um, guess that's the... Yeah, no, that's the story that yeah. I think that floats. And it's an old story. Uh, it's like, it's got pedigree to it. So, um, yeah, I, I've also heard that he was the most beautiful of all mm, uh, God's yeah. angels, which I think that has maybe Jewish or Quranic um, a history to it. But we do get the story, and it is from a few bits. I mean, we, I can give you all the bits right now. It's, it. it's not much. Um, <laughs> there's some other places where people might say it's assumed. But um, so Isaiah 14 is the big one, right? So how are you fallen from heaven? 
O'Day Star, which is where the word Lucifer comes from, actually. So uh, O'Day Star, uh, Lucifer basically means uh, the light bringer. You know, I think Lux, and, and it's a Latinization of O'Day Star, right? So O'Day Star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, who, uh, you who laid the nations low. Um, so this is the, the idea of somebody falling. Uh, Ezekiel 28 is really the big one. So now Ezekiel 28 is tricky. These are all tricky um, because they're illusions, right? They're, they seem to be alluding to something that they think their audience would know what it is. And we're reading it, you know, 3,000 years later going or 2,500 years later going, I don't know what you're winking and nodding at here, right? So Ezekiel 28, this is verses 11 and 12. It seems to describe the serpent in Eden um, where it says, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, raised the lamentation of the king of Tyre and said to him, thus says God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. So there's that most beautiful angel uh, idea. And then it goes on to say, you were there in Eden and you were clothed in bdellium and, and, and onyx and these, you know, these stones in the garden. Um, the only problem is it's very clearly labeled to, to you, the king of Tyre. Tyre is a real city. It's a real city state. Um, so the question is, is it using Edenic language and imagery to, uh, as rhetoric to portray uh, the evils of the king of Tyre, or is it using the king of Tyre as an example of who the serpent slash the Satan slash the devil slash Lucifer, the day star, is? Um, you think the intended audience of, of Ezekiel would probably have understood that better than we can now. I mean, that's what we always say, and we just assume is yeah. is true. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, if I said, uh, "Let's go, Brandon!" Today, you'd know I'm not cheering mm. for my son in little league football, right? <laughs> like, it's just it's so deep in the culture. Yeah. And if you don't know what that means, is don't don't Google it. But um, <laughs> the um, but yeah, those kinds of things where I can just say them, and I just know everybody can chuckle, wink, nod because you know exactly what I'm saying. Because we're drenched in this culture where all of these metaphors and illusions would make sense. So yeah, we just assume that your average Hebrew listener would have picked up most of those, mm -hmm. or somebody in the royal court would have. Um, and then in, in the Gospels, actually only in Luke in ten, uh, Jesus says, "I saw the Satan falling like lightning." Right, and so we're like, okay, this is what he's referring to. Um, you get built out from that in Christian, Jewish and Christian tradition and later Muslim tradition that the full story, he was the most beautiful angel who stood before. And then you get, you know, you actually get dialogue put into these stories, you know, and Satan is, uh, the devil is jealous of the man in the garden of Eden because God revealed to him all the knowledge before he did it. So it becomes a full orb story as often as the case. I think it gets worked into Milton and Dante as well. And from that point on, it just becomes part of the um, the literature of Christianity to where people just, you know, so when you point out like, hey, that story actually isn't in scripture, most people are shocked. They're like, wait, what? Like, well, something like that story is alluded to in scripture, but it's there. I mean, we just looked at all the allusions and in Revelation, you get a few more, but they're just little tidbits like that. So there's this sense. So we said evil didn't enter the, enter the world with the man and the woman in the garden. There's already something awry. Um, and these seem to be pointing back in some way to something went awry. We don't know the details. And again, there's a story there that could be told. The biblical authors just aren't interested in telling it. They just assume like, yeah, there was people who could have been on the good side. They could have been for the sake of all the families of the earth. And they chose to become uh, hasatanim, the, the adversaries uh, of God instead. Um, no character development, no storyline development, no plot development. 
And and conversely, a very thick, rich plot development, story development, character development of God's plans for for mm-hmm. good, right? So it's kind of like, yep, this is facts of life, but let's focus on kingdom of God. Because hmm. it's not. It's not like the Bible's lacking in rich narrative. <laughs> it's got a little bit. Maybe little some bit. of the most in antiquity, far none. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, this is really interesting. So where like where do we go from here in this conversation? I know that we're next episode we're gonna be talking about why are we so scared of evil. Right. Um, and this episode has been, you know, does evil have a mind of its own? Is evil a persona? And obviously there's a lot of a lot more nuance behind Satan, the Satan, um, Lucifer, demons, than I think. I mean, I can say that I grew up understanding. And I think right. maybe most of us. Yeah, I think all of us. Yeah. That would be the case. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, where do we go from here as we move forward? Um, I think we do have to, you know, this. I do this a lot with everything in scripture that's a little bit puzzling to me. I say, like, is there a real world example that might give us some sense that this is not just make-believe, mm-hmm. right? Because if it's make-believe, like Paul said, if this is all made up, let's just go home now, right? Yeah. This, we, we're, just, we're just idiots. Um, and I, I do think you can look at certain examples. I, I worked in counter-narcotics operations in Colombia in the 90s when I was in the military. And uh, I, the, my first deployment down there um, was actually – pretty shortly after Pablo Escobar had been assassinated. Um, Pablo Escobar was, you know, like the first great cocaine uh, cartel. I mean, he basically invented the cartels. Uh, He also killed thousands and 20,000 civilians and policemen and and judges and everybody else, politicians in Colombia. He was a terrorist of the worst sorts. And so I got interested. um, I read uh, two biographies of him. And then Narcos is a uh, Narcos season one is entirely about Pablo Escobar. Actually, season one and two. Uh, but again, it's rough watching because it, it shows like what he was actually doing, how he thought about the world. And you and you know that I'm I'm against violence where it's completely unnecessary. And so this question like is Pablo redeemable, right? So is a demon? Is Hitler? Is Pablo Escobar? He would be my Hitler. Uh, you know, recent Hitler. Are these redeemable people? Um, and at every turn, you know, people who knew him best, you could like, he, he loved his wife. He loved his children at the same time. He's murdering people in untold numbers that he's fully corrupted the government so that the, the Colombian government itself couldn't function at all. There's an entire third of Colombia. The government troops wouldn't even go in. I was deployed in like a non-governmental controlled part of the, uh, the country where it was all narco traffickers and guerrillas uh, in that area, not like apes, but yeah, guerrillas. So um, so at the t- same time he shows such profound love and would do anything for his children, he is like the worst human ever, you know, to put it in millennial terms. Um, and by the time you get to his assassination, you just realize he's been doing this for 40 plus years. There really is, and I, I'd say this is kind of a Pharaoh thing. God primes his heart by by hardening it, and 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 then he loosens it, and to see what he will do, and it just keep he keeps on hardening, keeps on hardening, keeps on hardening. By the way, Pharaoh is not the only one in the Old Testament uh, who hardens his heart. The Hebrews also are described as having hardened hearts. And in the New Testament, the disciples are described as having hardened hearts. Those are your three main groups, Pharaoh, the Hebrews, and the disciples of Jesus. Um, And so, yeah, I do think there is like this warning that there might be a tipping point where people, it's not that they're not theoretically, they're just practically irredeemable. They're just always, they've habituated their, their way and the descent into Sheol has been like chosen and habituated and 
a regular part of their life so that they actually can't imagine any other world. Uh, you know, we look at if you ever have spent any time on the streets or in really rough neighborhoods or really difficult spots, you know, places where drug uh, like Cracolandia, where these, where these crack addicts hang out in Brazil, you know, we'd go down with the church and we'd feed them. And you meet people who are like, yeah, I was a nurse in a hospital a year ago and then I started smoking crack. And, um, and you realize, like, how do they get to the point where they're out like zombies in the street uh, smoking crack? And it really is like there's this narrowing of their imagination that they just can't imagine the world any other way. And these are people who are actually like, they're still like morally viable. They seem like they want something other than what the, the life they're living right then. But you can imagine people who've been addicted to violence, addicted to corruption, addicted to like narcissism of the worst kinds. You, you build your, you know, your, your cell from the outside in and you trap yourself in it. And, um, and so it really is like a, I can't imagine any other way than controlling the world in the way in which I control it now. Mm. Um, the sad thing is it happens to really vulnerable people as well, who are children who are raised in this environment. So one of the things you have to do is like, you know, the, what we think is campy for privileged kids in America, where we're like, you can be anything, you know, that, which is kind of silly to tell some children in America. But like, if you're working in really destitute situations where children are raised as vulnerable uh, people in these kinds of situations, it's really important that they know you, this isn't the only way. You can be something other than what you're in right now. Hmm. You know, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode um, how, like, the or was it this one or last one? I can't remember. But the way that the that choice plays into this of how you know people make choices in, in such a way that like every choice kind of builds upon each other. Actually, it reminds me, I know that you wrote a book about ritual and the the way that uh, we're formed by the things that we do habitually. And so would you say that evil personified can look like a person continually choosing to do an evil thing and then having that form them more and more into whatever evil is? Yeah, yeah, I think, and this is why a lot of people use addiction as a metaphor here. It, it really is that kind of initial contact warning, which this is like Joshua, like mm -hmm. choose this day who you're going to, like puts out this really clear plan and they're like, we're going to serve Yahweh. And he's like, you can't. And they're like, yes, we are. And he's like, well, then you need to put away the gods that you're currently giving offerings to, right? Um, and so they're they're like dabbling uh, and you wonder how deep it's gone in. But by the time you get to, uh, judges and then into the into the kings, you realize like, oh, they've fully appropriated like the hook, line, and sinker. They're fully mixing all of these other um, exploitative practices into their religion uh, of of um, the Hebrew religion, the Israelite, whatever you want to call the Torah religion at that point. Um, so yeah, I think that I mean, what do the prophets go after? Quit taking your Quit taking your sacrifices to the wrong God, because um, that's not the one who's brought you all the stuff that you're sacrificing to them. And keep the Sabbath. Like, that's another big one of the prophets. Like, quit exploiting the poor and start keeping the Sabbath. And there's this sense of, like, every week you're supposed to be habituated into trusting God one day a week. So I would actually say they see Sabbath as like a slippery slope. As soon as people start um, working on the Sabbath, it's, it's just only a matter of time before they're going to start worshiping other gods, which means it's only a matter of time they're going to begin exploiting their own children, exploiting the poor, the foreigner, the widow, anybody they can, they'll exploit. And that's going to end in God having to bring judgment down upon them. Mm. So wow. bringing evil upon them. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, that's a heavy place for us to end yeah. <laughs> this episode. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Man, well, really good conversation here. Is there any other um, comment you'd like to make before we kind of closed out for today and a little bit uh, give a give a teaser for um, the next episode, episode five? Yeah, I, I mean, I would want to say the biblical message is one of hope. Uh, so, and it's kind of Paul's like, you know, you have a similar issue with election and predestination. Paul, who believed and taught in the election and predestination as loud as Jesus did, or maybe even louder, also went to the ends of the earth taking the good news. And so there's this kind of like, well, yeah, God elects people. That's a thing. But our job is, our only responsibility is to take the gospel out because we don't know who these people are, right? And we don't know if it's Joe today or not Joe today, but Joe, the next person who comes and brings the gospel. So there's this kind of like hopeful responsibility and charity that comes with this, which again, this is all against the idea of like, just label somebody as evil, box them off, shut them down, kill them, destroy them, whatever. And you don't have to deal with them anymore. It means no, there has to be an active involvement and a hope for restoration. As long as, as long as there's a breath of life and possible, there's a hope for restoration there. Um, but also very honest and sober about the realities at hand. Um, so the next episode, we're going to change gears quite a bit and start thinking about why are people scared of evil? Like, what is it about evil that's so scary? Like, why aren't people terrified of good? Like, oh, <laughs> she brought me a croissant. I don't know what to think about that, right? Um, so again, it's the problem of good and now the problem of scariness of evil or the, the problem of non-scariness of good, I guess, is what we need to talk about. Okay, great. Well, the next conversation will definitely be an interesting one. So uh, we will we'll see you there. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to season two of Discover Your Roots, The Problem of Good and Evil. To find more resources like this, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media and learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening. Thank you.